Hello and welcome to University Challenged. Have you ever wondered what a Chief of Staff does? Or why setting a target to double your salary every five years is not about money? Well, you'll find out this week because I'm joined by Nigel Chambers, who is Chief of Staff at XE, the Global Foreign Exchange Services Organisation. In this episode, he talks about his early life on a council estate and how going to the pub with less money than his friends steered him towards a paid traineeship at TSB Trust Company. He talks about establishing himself in the financial services industry and his incredible five-year philosophy. So if you only take one thing away from this episode, it will provide you with a brilliant technique for your own career planning. We also talk about social mobility, elitism, peer influences, and what it means to break the six-figure salary barrier. Nigel offers valuable insights and personal anecdotes on what it takes to build an interesting, enjoyable, successful financial services career. I really hope you enjoy it. Hi, Nigel. Thank you. Thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast. Let me talk to you. Let me interview you. Um, So for the benefit of the many, the many, there are, um, can you tell us who you are and what you do today for a job? Yep, so uh, my name is Nigel Chambers and my job title is Chief of Staff. Now, obviously, that sounds very Americanized. Um, I can go into a bit more detail later on when we open up uh, a bit more about the role. But effectively, it's it's an executive level role. um, And I work for an organization that does um, foreign exchange. So um, we're kind of money transfer foreign exchange. Um, It's a company called XE, which will be quite well known to a lot of people. A lot of people have the app. But effectively, our role in 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 um, in business is to provide uh, consumers, private consumers, and corporate consumers, with the ability to um, utilise uh, foreign exchange in the payment of goods and services. Right. Okay. And so that's an executive level. Does that mean do you sit on the UK board? How does that work? Yeah. So I sit on the UK board in for the UK company. Um, it's a global organisation. Um, so the executive level board also has um, global remit or decision making um, for our offices and our regions uh, in Australia, New Zealand, uh, which we call the APAC region, uh, North America, which comprises of the US and Canada um, and Europe. Right. OK, it's a big job. Big job, Nigel. Yeah, yeah it's a it, it's it's an interesting job. Obviously, when you when you kind of get to board level or, or executive board level, um, it becomes more about um, strategy and, and the development of strategy and looking forward um, than it does about kind of the day-to-day uh, running of the business. Now, obviously, uh, the day-to-day running of the business is um, evidenced by your results. So clearly, you're looking on a constant basis at uh, things like you know how much revenue, how much profit your organization is, is generating. Um, you know, what the costs of the business are. Um, but equally, you have to have one eye on the future, as in, you know, what are our competitors doing? Where are we going to be in a year's time? What's the market going to look like? Um, obviously, that strategy was, uh, as with everybody else's, um, thrown in the bin at the beginning of COVID. And, and we're now coming out of that back end and we're looking at what does it mean now for uh, for our global business um, in a post-COVID environment? You know, obviously, that that's... Um, something that many businesses I would imagine are going through right now. 
Yeah. And um, if we rewind a long way back, well, not such a long way back, we're about the same age. Um, the Nigel Chambers that was at secondary school, um, what what was he like? What what do you remember of your secondary school days that, that teed you up to become chief of staff? <laughs> so I always think I always think there's there's a couple of um, there's a couple of things I think that that stand you in good stead I think moving forwards, um, Tony. I think one is um, your family background, okay, and, and and you know the values and the principles that your family instill in you, um, and then I think. Second, it's the it's the peer groups that you potentially um, you know form for yourself um, at that kind of age. So you know around that around that sort of thirteen to, to eighteen year old age. Um, and I was very fortunate in respect of um, I come from a working class family, so brought up on a council estate. Um, you know, uh, one of um, five children, um, but with uh, strong work ethic um you know strong moral values of, of, of right and wrong um and that was instilled from a from a very early age um and i think that uh from a from a peer group perspective you know and i say this um to to uh, many people um i was very very fortunate um that i was good at sport and and the reason for that is i was also at school i was a, a ginger a class student okay. a, a, a a student so Imagine you're ginger, um, not great in this country, I can tell you, and um, you're also in all the A streams, okay? So you're yeah. intelligent and ginger. You're going to get beaten up. Um, it was fortunate for me that I was also captain of the football and rugby team. Um, wow. And so wow. my, peer, my peer group um, was, was very, um, you know, well-established as, as that kind of alpha peer group in, in any school yeah. environment. Um, and I truly believe that contributes. So not not just the the um, the attributes you you grow into from a you know teamwork and a and a and a, a winning mentality, okay. But equally that peer group mentality of you know we need to be the best, we need to be the strongest, we need to be you know the most capable, um, alongside having the ability to also be in the A streams, set me up for um, you know my my future. Um, career development. There's a couple of questions we've got. One is like the actual all-rounder, academic and sporting. Yeah, it's interesting because um, at school, I think when you look at all-rounder, um, mm. there was a there was a, a guy who was a true all-rounder. So I had a, uh, there was a guy called Tony in my year um, who was he played in the first team football rugby. He uh, he was in all the classes I was in, and he was also very good at art. Um, now I'm I've got two left hands and two left feet couldn't draw couldn't paint couldn't do anything even if you asked me to absolute disaster if you put me on a pottery wheel anything of that nature can't do it um, so not necessarily a true all-rounder okay. but I suppose fortunate in respect of I found um, education very easy um, and um, I found uh, you know sport very easy as well and I was I was um, very very competitive very competitive it was just in my nature to be very competitive um, even at a very early age i hated losing um and, and on the on the having ginger hair piece i don't need to imagine it because i've 
I was born with ginger hair. Just mellowed as I got older. And people used to just say, are you the milkman's child? Like, because that's what you did <laughs> in the 70s and 80s, wasn't it? You the milkman's. Um, so where do you sit in the, in the order of you and your siblings out of interest? So I'm middle. I'm the middle child. So I've got two older sisters, um, uh, myself, uh, and then I've got a younger brother and sister. Um, and so it was, it was, I suppose it's the best place to be, um, I believe, because I was the oldest boy. Um, okay. So that, that, you know, my sisters kind of went through all the pain of the rules and regulations. And obviously the, the rules and regulations on a, on a, on a girl you know, I'm not saying in today's society, but it was um, like that. I grew up in the 70s and 80s. You know, the rules and regulations were very different from a from a male to female perspective. So my sisters had a lot more stringent rules on them than I did. So obviously, when it came down to me, um, you know, the rules weren't as weren't as significant. So, you know, I think I had my first drink in a pub at 15. <laughs> I think I was coming home from nightclubs at 17. But on the basis that um, my sisters, who are four and five years older than me, um, I meet them in town and they they would take me into a nightclub and then so my parents knew that if I was out somewhere in a club um, I was with my older sisters and therefore being looked after. Um, and did you, because um, one thing that's been interesting is uh, a guest I've had on previously, she's the youngest of six and she found that because she had siblings that had been through the school before her she was kind of almost prejudged based on her siblings performance so I wondered if you had had that experience or if there's enough of a gap that the, you didn't have the same teachers as your siblings no i, I the, the, the trouble is I, I had the reverse experience so um uh and it's interesting i think i think one has to put it into perspective so just to just to put it into perspective my brothers and sisters um weren't uh as academically um kind of driven as i was um, so, so they never achieved the same types of results that I, I achieved from school. Um, so I think that um, we were very different characters. And also, um, having been the very good at sport, I was I was quite well known. Um, and, and also, I was I was just gobby. I was just a gobby, arrogant child. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the the observation was made. My older sister had left school by the time I'd started the, the senior yeah. school because obviously you only really form your personality at senior school, yeah. um, in a, in a in a strong way. Yeah. And and uh, my older sister had left, but my second older sister was in the fifth year, okay. and she, I remember her saying to me once, "People keep asking me if I'm your sister." Um, <laughs> wow, so you made it was that much of an impression. <laughs> it was it was a rever- they were like you know he can't he can't be your brother. He's he's nothing like you. she was quite quite shy quite quite yeah. quiet um and then in the first year you get this loud gobby arrogant um kind of know-it-all chat that comes in and uh, suddenly you know there's a family connection but then i think where it really reflected on was my brother and sister who are younger than me who are twins um they were they were 18 months younger than me so i was in the third year i think when they came up to school mm. and then my brother said to me he said he lived in that shadow for his whole school time you know he lived in that shadow of you know your 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 nigel chambers's brother he was never known as himself he was known as nigel chambers's brother so um yeah it's a struggle i imagine if if you're in that position see having um done well at secondary school um was there any expectation or discussion about going on to 
further education on to uni for your parents or your teachers? No, not at all. So this is where it's quite disappointing. When you when you look back, I think that um, the only conversations I ever had from a careers advice perspective at school mm-hmm. were, or you know, you maybe you should think about going to college. That was it. Um, but with my family, nobody had nobody had gone to university. Nobody had nobody had even gone to college. You know, I, I, not in not in my you know mum and dad's or my, my dad's dad's or you know that whole history of um, family. They were all um, manual workers so you know yeah. factories that that kind of yeah. stuff yeah. um and or blue collar as they would have been called in in the day um but you know i suppose i chose to go to college mm. um with no real understanding of what that meant or where it might go or any clear view that um that would lead to um you know onward to university okay so you did go to college then Yes, unfortunately, for right. <laughs> about nine weeks, I think. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. What happened there? <laughs> so there were two. There were two things that happened. Um, so we all left school. Obviously, we all leave yeah. school at sixteen, and yeah. you know, I spend I spend the uh, the six weeks of um, that. You know, more than that, because obviously your exams are in kind of April, May. Yes. So I then spend. You know, I've got a lovely sort of. Um, part-time I was only ever working part-time at that point um you know I'd been working part-time since the age of about 14 so it wasn't that I was work shy I quite I quite like working a little bit of money in my back pocket but there were two things that happened um number one all of my friends that decided not to go to college because it wasn't a big thing you know in in the 80s um they decided not to go to college um they all went out and got jobs uh so so we're now going out on a Friday night and it's me with my part-time you know, wages yeah. from a couple of jobs I was doing and I could I can afford a couple of beers and, and you know, that's me then home with a bag of chips. Um, and my, my mates were what looked like to me absolutely loaded. You know, I'm going out with, you know, at the time, £3.50 um, and that's enough for a couple of beers and a, and a bag of chips at the time. Yeah. Um, and and they, they're coming out with, you know, £30, 30 pounds and you're like, wow, you've got 10 times more than money. Than me. So there was one thing. And then... Um, when I went to college, um, I found that at that age, so remember I'm still sort of 16, 17, mm. at that age, um, I'm not used to the, I wasn't used to the freedom that college gave you. So, mm. you know, the college mantra was, look, here's your lecture. You, you turn up if you want to. Nobody's going to tell you to turn up. Mm. You know, I've come from this school regiment where, you know, you turn up every, every single lesson. You have to be there. You sign in. You've got to register. Teacher yeah. calls the register. You do the lesson bell goes you go to your next lesson etc etc we all know the school process um into college where they were like yeah if you turn up you turn up and if you don't you don't um and i was like "Mm, yeah i don't really want to turn up um and so i i'd not turn up and then and then i got picked again it came down to sport so i got picked to um represent county uh colleges um for football and um got in trouble because i just they, they had these these games on certain days and I just left college and went and played for the county team and came back into college when I was supposed to be at lectures and I, got, I remember getting called into the um, the principal's office at the time um, and he said to me look you know this has got to stop uh, you, you need to concentrate on your lessons or we're kicking you out and that I think was the, the bit that was a realization that college wasn't really for me um, so I went and got a job my first ever job 
at TSB Trust Company, which was which was a local kind of insurance company in uh, in Andover. Um, but it it kind of one of the things that attracted me is it came with um, the role itself. They were looking for school leavers, but school leavers that could then do BTEC, um, business BTEC, yeah. which was yeah. you know at the time the equivalent of um, two A levels, I think it was at the time. Yeah. Uh, so you know it was, it was almost this thing of so you want me to go and work for you you're going to pay for me and what you're going to do is you're going to send me back to college <laughs> to do btech um you know i think it was uh, one day one day and two evenings a week so i got a day off work and i had to go two evenings a week but effectively i was being paid then to go back and get the two a levels i was looking to get anyway mm. which felt to me a bit like a no-brainer yeah oh makes sense then doesn't it let's say yeah and earn while you learn Exactly. Mm. Okay, so that isn't a world away thinking about where you are today. So has your career always been in that kind of financial services kind of sector? Yeah, definitely. So so it's always been it's always been in financial services um, in, in, in this sector, but I've worked um, you know in, in banking, I've worked in uh, you know, as I say, foreign exchange at the moment, I've worked in, in pure insurance, I've worked in pensions, you know, so, but it's all been in the financial services industry. And again, it wasn't a conscious choice. So I didn't, I didn't, you know, come out of school and go, I'm going to go and work in financial services. Yeah. Um, I came out of school and, you know, went to college and one of my friends said, oh, you know, they're offering these kind of, not apprenticeships, but pseudo apprenticeships where they yeah. pay you and you go back to college and you learn. Um, and and a few of my friends were working there. So it, you just went there because a few of your friends worked there. Right. And, and then, you know, just fortunate that um, I suppose uh, that type of work has, has been something that suited me. Um, and I still remain in that financial services industry. And, and I've been in it for now, what, 35, 35 years. Wow. And has there been a breaking there am i right to so you went traveling for a bit yep went traveling for a couple of years so um yeah. i was supposed to take a two year a, a two three month break yeah. um so i'd agreed it would work um and said uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna do a three month break three month sabbatical come back yeah. to your job um yeah so like two years later i came back to the uk so it was <sighs> probably a little bit more extended than uh than 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 what i wanted um but you know i'd, I'd recommend that for anybody i think that um you know, I think we're too young, um, 18, 19, 20, um, mm. to understand what we want to do from a career. Um, mm. and I think, you know, doing a bit of traveling, seeing the world, opening up your eyes to different cultures, different, different, um, you know, countries uh, is, is a way of kind of having a different view on, on how you interact with, um, you know, society and, and, and other people. And equally, you know, what's important in life you know when you when you've when you've been somewhere and you realize that um there are people in the world getting paid 50 pence a day to do their job yeah you know money itself um starts to become a little bit less meaningful mm. um you know when, when you then get back into you know a, a, one of the developed countries mm. and did that so did that influence your choices once you came back did you return to was it tsb 
then? No, no. So I, I came back and um, returned to Basel. Did, did it influence my decision? No. Um, it was really interesting. I came back uh, and um, there was a company, again, a, a, um, a, an insurance company, uh, Sun Life of Canada, who, who were looking for, uh, in Basingstoke, which is a town about 20 miles away from me, um, they were looking for a obviously a specific type of people because the job advert was for people with you know a couple of years of experience with this qualification etc etc and it, it just jumped out at me from the paper because this is back in the day when job adverts were, were in the paper you know you used to go through the paper every week to see them but not quite like they are today um, and this one jumped out I applied for it um, obviously I was a good fit for it um, interestingly there were seven people that were recruited for that role Right. And if you'd, and I think it would be, in, it would be um, something a good HR study for today's day and day and age in diversity because um, we were all pretty much 20 to 25 um, males, all with a BTEC, all with two years experience, etc., etc., etc. So it's almost like you had this mini, mini kind of graduate program yeah. of, of of guys um, that came in. Um, and you know, no, no, uh, no female recruits in that cohort. Um, so it was quite an interesting. When I reflect on it now, what yeah. they were like in their recruitment policy. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and like I you say, been... this, this, yeah, this kind of stuff feeds into why then you don't have representation at the top of the organisation because hundred percent came in twenty years before. Were from the same pot. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. If you if you were. If you tried that today, um, mm. you know, and in my role as chief of staff, HR falls in my remit. If you tried that today, I think you would be um, very quickly finding yourself in front of a tribunal. Um, yeah. You know, you need to you need to be more diverse. You need to be, uh, you know, more um, gender unbiased, um, mm. just just in general. Um, but it does reflect, like you say, in, in people that have had, you know, a 20 year career. Um, why you see uh, the, you know, unequal levels of um, representation on on exec boards. Yeah. And um, so throughout your career, you've would you say it's been a linear progression? Have has have all of your career choices been on an upward trajectory, or have you ever moved sideways? No. So so Tony, I think um, again, this is one of those things. So I. I would say up until about the age of 29, when my 30th birthday um, was, was uh, you know, one of those milestone moments in, in anybody's life. Um, you know, I was, I was doing okay. I think I was a supervisor of a team of about 10 people. I had my own house. Um, or my, I had a flat, actually, not a house. I had my own flat. Um, but this was, you know, again, for those people that can recall the 80s, um, you know, this was back in the day when you could go and get 120% mortgage. Yeah. Um, so you know any, wow. anybody could walk in anybody could walk in off the street and go yes yeah. I've seen this valuation for a flat and it's you know 50,000 pounds can I get a mortgage for 60 and they'd be like yeah of course you can yeah. Yeah. and you'd have a mortgage for 60 you'd be in negative equity straight away anyway I kind of um, you know late you know mid mid to late 20s for me were were you know my own flat my own place it was it was a bit of a party time so it was it was you know, I, ne I never focused on my career. I literally, you know, got one, maybe one or two promotions. Yeah. Um, and then it, it dawned on me, you know, when I was nearly 30, that um, you're literally just wasting. You're, you're wasting your whole career. Yeah. 
I think at that point there, there was a realization. And, and what I then did um, is I then came up with a plan that I was going to double my salary every five years. Now, okay. that sounds very, very um, materialistic. But if I kind of explain that, um, my, my philosophy was that um, five years in, 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 a, in a role is, you know, you spend the first two years developing into that role. So, so you, you, you spend a fair degree of time, you know, you've, you've been promoted into the role, you get to know the role, you get comfortable with the role. You spend one year where you just kind of muck around and you, you, you know, you, you know the role back to back to front. It's very easy. You coast. And then the next two years really should be you focusing on what do you need then to get your next role. Yeah. And if you think if I started at, say, 30K, um, so my goal was, OK, I want to be at 60K by the age of 35. I want to be at 120K by the age of 40. I want to be at 240K by the age of, you know, and so on and so on. Right. Mm. Um, but with no real understanding of, of what that might mean other than that's now driving me. So, yeah. you know, when I achieved that first role, which was a, you know, a junior management role, mm. I kind of go from, from supervisor to junior manager and I'm getting paid the 60 K that I'm, I'm looking, you know, to get paid. And remember 60 K was quite a lot of money back in the sort of like late eighties, oh, yeah. uh, early nineties. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm then looking at, right. Okay. I've got that job. Um, <laughs> I need to get good at it. <laughs> well, exactly. But I need, I need to get, I need to get good at this job. Yeah. Um, and what's the next job? So I'm looking then at, okay, so what are the jobs that pay 120K? And, and I know I'm not ready for them yet. I know that in, in you know, this is a job that I've been looking for in three to five years time uh, once I've mastered the skill set I've got here. So, you know, say I went from, say, a manager to a, to a director and I'm looking at a director of a, of, of, a, of a function, you know, maybe running two functions or three functions. I don't know. But I then start going, okay, let's have a look at, what are the skills that are required for that job? Yeah. And then what I then do is set my stall out and say, okay, these are the skills I need to learn. These are the yeah. skills I need to add to my um, scenario, my CV over the next um, you know, two to three years, such that when a role comes up, I'll have the skill set to apply. So I think from the age of 30 onwards, um, my career was, was quite, quite driven in respect of me driving it yeah but that's great i think there's that that's some really you know clear measurable like that's what i'm going to aim for so how do i get there so how do i achieve yep. mastery and what skills do i need to gain i think that's amazing advice though for like say someone doesn't necessarily have a career plan but they may think by the time i'm 35 I would like to earn X or I want to be able to afford that house. So what do I need to do to get there? And, and what yeah. are the roles that help me achieve that? Um, yeah, I mean, it, mm. it opens up your, it opens up your thinking as well. So, mm. so, you know, when, when I was sort of like 35 and I'm looking at roles that, that take me to the next step, which is a six figure salary. And that was the, that was the big jump, right? It was the one to go from, you know, five to six figures. So, so to break the hundred K mark, yeah. um, and, and, you know, you can't, you kind of start to look at it and you go, oh, well, you know, there's a lawyer, there's a doctor, there's a, and, and you kind of go, oh, yeah, I'd like to be a lawyer. And then you go, mm, yeah, but realistically, right? How quickly <laughs> are you going to go from, from being, a, being what you are today, which is, you know, yeah. the manager in a, 
in a in a financial services organization to a lawyer earning 120k a year so i think that five-year window also um gives you real focus in 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 yeah. you know understanding what your limitations are you know I'm never going to be a lawyer. I'd love to have been a lawyer. If I look back now, I'd love to have done law at a university and gone into a career in law. I think it would have been great. But you've got to be realistic and go, I'm never going to be a lawyer. And so me sitting there and going, actually, you know what? In five years time, I'm going to be a lawyer. It's a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. So where do my skills take me? And, and what are those roles? Because they're out there. Those roles are definitely there in all organizations to, to you know, progress your career quite comfortably to a, a significant six-figure salary. Um, and again, I'm not saying that the um, the salary is the driver. Um, it, it was just a, a framework for me to be able to, um, you know, assess what roles would I like to move into? Where would I like to go? And obviously looking within the industry that I was working um, and saying, you know, do I, do I see myself more in a technical kind of, way do i see myself more in a strategic direction do i see myself more in a you know a people and, and managing large functions um and and having those types of options and and kind of narrowing that down into roles that i believe my skill set would would lend itself to and was there any point where um either you not going to uni or having a degree did that ever get questioned or do you ever feel like it disadvantaged you um i don't believe so um however um i've also seen where it 100 percent um has an advantage um so i was working uh for a startup um i won't mention the company because it would be unfair and there, there'll be people that will be able to uh you know draw draw the conclusions as to who i'm who i'm talking about but um, uh, the majority of the meetings, the majority of the meetings that we had, um, some of them were, um, uh, you know, equity meetings. Some of them were business opportunity meetings. Um, the majority of those meetings were, without doubt, held by um, people that had been to university, um, but equally had been through private education. So, you know, there was there was. 100% um, an old boys, you know, school network of, um, you know, privileged white males um, yeah. who were connecting in and giving each other opportunities. Yeah. So I've, I've never, I don't think, um, been held back myself personally in my career choices by the fact that I don't have a university education. Mm. Um, I think that the that's been overcome by um, a clear sense of purpose and direction and um, hard work. Um, and, and, you know, you've got to have some ability. There's no, there's no point in, um, yeah. in, in not having some ability, but equally uh, I have seen particularly in financial services instances where people who have not worked as hard, who are not as intelligent and who are, um, you know, not as driven, um, mm end up in very senior roles um, because of their networks so yeah. you know it's it's relative but I, I don't think I've ever found it a barrier and how about when you're hiring people what is it for you that you look to first 
Um, I always say, and, and, and this is a this is a, a mantra. I imagine lots of people use. You can hire um, if you hire for aptitude um, and um, attitude. You can teach the rest. Yeah. So if somebody has the right aptitude, okay, and somebody has the right attitude that I'm looking for, I can teach them any of the skills. Right? The skills, the skills are secondary. Um, you know, and, and the people I work with tend to have a really good value set, um, you know, really good principles. Uh, they also tend to be hard workers. Um, they tend to be very honest, respectful, and um, they tend to be people who want to get stuff done uh, and, and are accountable. So, you know, I suppose in a way you kind of hire in your own image um, and they're the types of people I would look to hire for. Um, and I, I guess it's like you I say, it's the, value, it's the value set. So hiring in, in your own image, not from a, they have the same background as me, but they share the same values as I 100%. do. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, and, it, and relative to this conversation, you know, I think you look at somebody's qualifications. So you look at, you look at, um, you know, what their background is and what their qualifications are and have they got a degree or, you know, but, but for me, um, I don't remove somebody from a process if I see that they haven't got a degree, put it that way. And that's probably an inherent bias on my part on the, on the basis that, you know, I would hope that I was never excluded from any kind of uh, role on the basis that I haven't got a degree. And I think equally, you know, the longer you've been in, in you know, uh, employment, the less important your degree becomes. Yeah. Um, and let's not forget that, that I'd be interested to know how many people um, that have a degree then use that degree to go on and utilize that degree in a subject where it's relevant. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's great to have a degree in English history, um, mm. but not if you're working in a, um, you know, in a financial services organization. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, you know, it tells me, it tells me that you can go to university and you can study and, you know, you can apply yourself and, you know, great, you've got a degree, but that's all it tells me. It doesn't tell me anything else. It doesn't tell me who you are. It doesn't tell me what type of person you are. It doesn't tell me if you're, if you have the right aptitude or attitude to come and work in, in the organization that, you know, I effectively help run. Um, it, it just tells me that, that you've got a degree. Yeah. Um, and how is your experience? So I'm interested in how, I guess, what you do today and, and how you came to do what, what you do, how that influences your son's ideas about what he'd like to do. And whether it influences what you would like him to do? Um, I think that, that, that's, that's the interesting question, right? Because um, uh, my son um, has the extreme privilege of being able to have private education. So, you know, the, the, one, of the, one of the benefits of, of um, earning a good salary um, is that you can have some choices. You, you have choices that you can make. Yeah. Um, and my son has the benefit of a private education. Um, now, beyond that, so so beyond the fact of a private education, um, does he want to go to university? Does he does he you know does he want to go and do an apprenticeship? I think he has to make those choices. 
I'm not going to force him one way or the other. I think that I suppose this is this is where it comes down to, you know, we talked early on about my choices and the choices available to me um, when I was that 16 year old. I think, again, you're influenced by your peers, as, as my story kind of told, you know, they were all earning money and I wasn't. Yeah. You know, so it was an influencing factor to me then going out and getting a job. I think if I was 16 and all of my peers, you know, were going on to do A-levels um, and I carried on with that group and then all of my peers were going to university. I think I would have been less influenced by my parents and more influenced by my peers um, yeah. than I would have, you know, you know, and I suppose in a way I reflect that on my son um, and I think he'll be more influenced by his peers. Now, if you think about private education, it is designed to, um, you know, facilitate the um, educational institution that is university. Okay, that that's that's the kind of conformity. That's the path of conformity for private education. You know, it's private. You stay on. You do your A levels. You then go to uh, a university. I, I find it fascinating from a, you know, social engineering perspective. Even today, the percentages of children from private school that go to, you know, one of the, you know, I suppose they call them the the, the more prestigious universities um, as opposed to the children from state schools. Right. Um, it's still significantly imbalanced, mm -hmm. even though, you know, there are conscious bias now towards moving those numbers away. Yeah. Um, it's just a fact. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think, I think um, in a way, Tony, it, it, it um, there's a bit of an expectation that he'll go on to university. Mm. Um, but equally, if he decides he doesn't want to go, then then I suppose, you know, there's also that element of, well, I didn't need university to, to drive my career. Yeah. I think more importantly is that, is that um, sense of drive, purpose, ambition over um, what they kind of teach them in schools today. And again, I'm generalizing, right? Um, you find that egg and spoon race and everybody gets a medal. Really? Okay. <laughs> um, you know, pri they, private schools. They graduate don't... preschool now. You graduate at preschool. I mean, it's just bonkers. <laughs> it's just bonkers, right? That, no, there's no winners and losers, and and you know you can't you can't um, say anything wrong. You can't offend people, and uh, uh, to a certain extent, you know, in in the private sector, private schools, they absolutely promote the um, ethos of winners and losers. Trust me, right? it's all driven around that. And I, and I just think that that drive in you to, to, to want to win is going to be much, much more important than uh, a document which says you've got a degree. Okay? And, and, and again, I think this is where, for me, yeah. society needs to look at the, the advantages and disadvantages that you get from a state school versus a private education in respect of that competitive nature. If you come out of school thinking that, you know, it's okay because everybody wins, you go for your first interview and wonder why you didn't yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah. because the, the the guy who's been taught that winning is everything, um, you're in for you're in for a, a, a rough ride. Yeah.
it is it's really i think it is it's all really interesting and and certainly our experience is that or what i'm seeing is um that school ours, our kids are at um which is you know a good uh state school uh but it talks about gcse's a levels uni this is what you do and it's very interesting to see that because it's to do with how the school is measured um but I, I do also have that element of i think it would be lovely if they do go because i never went so i wonder if they would like it but at the same yeah. time like you say that it, it, they got to find their own way and and they do get influenced by their peers certainly because talking about sixth form they're all like what are you planning to do are you going to go to college which will you stay on so yeah i think i think you're i think you're right definitely and like i said it becomes a mindset thing right if all your friends do it then it's the norm if if if, like i say hardly any of my friends did it so i was an exception so you know it was not no surprise that peer pressure meant that I then moved into a world of work as opposed to a world of education. Yeah. Um, what's next then, Nigel? Um, I think <laughs> five years. Five years. You better double that salary again. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think I think you do get you, but you get to the point, right? So so you actually get to the point where um, money is, and again, it's very easy to say, right? I think money becomes less of a driver and i think that's only that's only capable if you if you get to a point where where you know money is less of a driver so you know it it feels very um it's it's not it's not a british thing to do to talk about salaries so i don't i don't i don't want to kind of harp on about about money but money gives you choices yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't want to be, uh, you know, a multi multi millionaire. That's that's not what I do it for. I think now, when I come into work, and I look back over the fact that I've had thirty years of a career, mm-hmm. um, I kind of look back. The things I really enjoy looking back on are the things I've created. And, and I know that sounds strange because in a financial services industry, you don't you don't p- create things per se, mm-hmm. but um, you know, there's a, like I said, I think I mentioned the startup company, that company's going and doing well. And, you know, you look at that and go, well, I was part of that when it, when it, when it set up, um, you know, I look back at some other kind of big initiatives that I've done over the years um, that are still, you know, um, drawing, uh, you know, significant investments now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it becomes more of um, rather than, now it's about money it becomes more about okay i want to do roles that are going to be a bit more fulfilling yeah you know it's nice to have that choice um and that that comes from i think driving yourself to a position where you can actually then start to choose so rather than um every five years you know that that driver being um money and, and and monetary gain it now becomes okay every five years i want to start and get involved in something different uh, yeah. challenge myself to maybe learn a different a different um part of the financial services business um or or a different role or you know um maybe change the balance of my role from uh you know the 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 more 
delivery focus side to, to the mentoring and the, and the development and coaching side. You know, so it's, it's kind of looking um, at how you can almost reinvent yourself um, on a five-year basis. But it's still that, I still, still that five-year itch. I think the days, yeah. of, um, the days of being in a, in a role for 20, 25, 30 years, um, you know, that, that's, that's very much something of the past. Yeah. It's really, um, it's just been really fascinating um, sort of to hear your thought process. And I do think that setting yourself a target that helps you to open up your thinking and focuses your mind and then you can see, well, where are my limitations? I just think that's really a really smart thing to do. So that's just in you, obviously, that's part of your, that, that way of thinking is part of your nature. Yeah, I mean, you, you could call it, you could call it lucky though as well. I mean, because, because um, the amount of people, Tony, I've seen in a job, I mean, the amount of, the amount of I mean, when I think about um, the, the guys that I started with, so I go back to, you know, my first, my first job, 1986, right? Mm. So you can tell how long ago it is. <laughs> so I go, I go back to my first job <coughs> and, um, and I think about the guys that I started with. Guys, you know, all, all my age, you know, all from the same backgrounds, all with, with, um, you know, the same, exactly the same opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, even when I fast forward, you know, a couple of years later, um, and and I go um, to the, to the seven guys. I think I told you, you know, the seven guys that that started in this company, pretty much cardboard cutouts of each other, all with the same experience, all with the same qualifications, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and of, of those, I'd say probably myself and one other uh, are, are guys that have, you know, achieved significant positions in their career. Yeah. Um, and I've reflected on that prior to coming on and having a conversation with you as to, as to why that is. Mm. Um, and I would say that the, the, the main difference is, is that there was a real self-belief. Now, some might call it arrogance. Um, some might call it confidence, but there was a real self-belief in the pair of us that nothing was beyond us. Yeah. Okay? And, and that, yeah. you know, that, that, that comes from, and, you know, cause then I thought about that and I was like, okay, where's that come from? Because, you know, why, if I look back and, you know, there's been, you know, 10, 20, 30 guys I've been close to over a long career path. Mm. Um, and you know, we, we haven't all reached the same level, you know, and, and some of them are, some of them are hardly moved on from the levels they were at when we were, when we were 2022, 20, you know, mm. um, you know, one of my best friends is still a kind of a supervisor in a call center. Mm. Um, uh, there was, there was one incident when um, uh, I was working in an organization. I, I think I, I had about 150 people working for me. Um, and one of the chaps, who was my supervisor when I first started? Wow. He came to work for me, um, but I didn't know he'd come to work for me because obviously somebody else had hired him. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until I saw him in a restaurant one day, and I came, "Oh, Chris, how you doing?" And uh, and he was like, "Oh, you know, how you doing?" I said, "Why didn't you come and say hello?" You know, and he, he said, "Well, I didn't like to." I said, well, "Why not?" He said, "Well, I saw your name on an org chart," he said, <laughs> and, and it was like three or four removed from mine. He said, "And I, and I, I didn't think uh, you know it would be appropriate." And I said to him, "Dude." I'm still the same person. Yeah. I haven't changed because I'm on an org chart, you know, that, that, that heads up the organization. 
Yeah. I haven't changed at all. But again, I suppose it highlights the fact that that he was he was my first ever supervisor. Mm. And now he's four or five rungs down the chart and doesn't want to talk to me because he thinks I'm too important. And, and you know, you're never too important to talk to people. Let's get that yeah. straight. But I think getting back to the, the point, um, the the driver came from my mum. So my mum, 100 um, percent, one of those kind of very matriarchal kind of London mums that ran the family, you know, um, you know, and with five kids, you know, she had to be. Um, but she always said and, and you know, and I, and I remember this always. Nobody is better than you. Mm. Nobody. They, they might be different. They might have more experience. They might have, um, you know, better qualifications. They might speak better than you do. You know, they might be richer than you, but they're not better than you. Okay. And I think I've always carried that um, in the back of my head that, you know, whether you want to call that arrogant, whether you want to call that confident, whether you want to call that self-belief, I don't know what it is, but I think it's allowed me to go through my career thinking, you know, I'm just as good as the person I'm going to go for that job with. I'm, I'm, I'm just as good as other people that are going to be going for this role. And it's yeah. never stopped me then going for the roles that I want to go after. Yeah. I love it. And, and incidentally, I spoke to uh, someone that I interviewed earlier and he said uh, for him it was all about nothing was impossible. Yep. Nothing was impossible. It, it, you know, why not? Why not? Why not do it? What rules you out of trying that? Um, I think that's great. And I reckon I was going to ask you, and it feels like you've probably already answered it. You know, if if there were some kind of advice you could give to people that are early in career that were trying to figure out. How do I create myself a past? Um, so, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think if I, were, if I had to go back and give myself career, or even now, okay, so I, yeah. I, I, mentor, I mentor people. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really important that we give something back. Yeah. And I think the main thing I focus on, Tony, is the fact that when you're ready, you'll know you're ready. So, so first off, okay, don't think you need a career at 18, don't think you need a career at 21. You know, don't think you even need a career at 25. Yeah. If you're 35, you're too late, right? <laughs> but, but you know, enjoy yourself for a little while, okay? Don't, don't feel like, you know, I'm 25. I haven't, you know, I haven't decided on a career path yet. I, I've not, you know, I've, I've not driven myself into one way or another. It's not important, okay? But when you do decide what it is you want to do, Okay, make sure you go after it 100 percent. So make sure you're organized, make sure you're driven and make sure you're very, very clear what you want to do. And like I can say the, the 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 kind of double my salary. It wasn't a materialistic. It wasn't driven by the money. But but what it enabled me to do was have a very, very clear focus that within the next five years, I need to be gaining the experience to move me to that role that I want to go after next. And I was also very clear on what the role was going to be. So I think it's, you know, early in your career, have a little bit of fun. doesn't matter that you haven't settled down. Once you decide, you know, and probably needs to be, you know, late 20s, 
early 30s if you can really you know really drive your career because beyond that point i think it's a bit too late um you know then carry on doing it you know i think i think that's if you want a career in the traditional sense of, of the term yeah. of a career right so yeah. um you know if you're looking to be an entrepreneur or you're looking to you know work in one of the industries that that is um kind of more maybe more media driven or or you know um web-based then then potentially you know go out and chase your dream mm. but whatever you do whether you want to chase a dream whether you want to be a bit more corporate um just make sure you commit to it 100 mm. percent. because if you don't don't be surprised if you don't achieve it yeah it's awesome i feel like i've kind of had a mini mentoring session um <laughs> <laughs> they go away and go damn it I, I need to refocus on that. Um, really enjoyed spending time talking to you, Nigel. Um, just so much in there, take out of it. And um, yeah, I will, well, I will keep an eye out for what the next five years brings. Thank you, Tony. Thank you for the opportunity and uh, good luck to anybody that listens. Okay, cheers, Nigel. Cheers, bye. been listening to University Challenged with me, Tony Kent, and my guest, Nigel Chambers. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, give it a share with someone that you think would benefit from listening to it. Or, um, I don't know, leave a review on your favourite podcast platform. But just not Apple right now, because I haven't got it on there. I'll work that one out. Uh, thank you ever so much for tuning in, and I look forward to bringing you your next guest soon. Mm-hmm.